You're listening to episode 23 of season 13 of the GNU World Order for day 153 of 2019. Hey everybody, this is Klaatu. It's going to be a quick episode this this time. I'm doing a lot of traveling right now, and so I'm kind of recording these in between actually staying in one place. I do want to take some listener feedback, and I want to cover some of Util Linux, specifically picking up with the the col part of user bin if you'll recall in the previous episode we talked about call and call crt so this time i want to i want to talk about the real column related applications so let's get started okay listener feedback first and foremost first i got some feedback from paul i think he got in first on mastodon and he says i think it's unfair to compare the dvorak keyboard which was based on the lie that the qwerty keyboard was arranged to prevent the hammers in typewriters from jamming, to Linux, which evolved using open standards, like our current QWERTY keyboard configuration. I do agree that Mac users feel betrayed when a Mac user tries something else, but but are willing to accept anything Apples give them as the standard, and thus won't easily convert to something that makes them think about their choices. Now this is interesting, because I'd never heard that the, the whole QWERTY thing about running into problems with the typewriters jamming was a lie. I, I've always heard that that was not maybe the reason that the QWERTY keyboard was developed, but but that that was an influencing factor in, in the design. It's news to me that that's not accurate, and I, I would be curious to hear about the source uh, saying otherwise, actually, because as far as I know, typewriters did become jammed quite frequently. Now, whether the keyboard was designed to influence that or not. Obviously, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't help design the keyboards. I didn't have to deal with typewriter jams. I've never really been a typewriter user. I've used one in, like, the display model in a store where you can type a couple of words and experience a typewriter, but I've, I was never, you know, I grew up on computers, and and I was pretty, it was a pretty hard sell to 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 go back to a typewriter if given the opportunity. I don't really remember ever having that opportunity anyway. I think they'd pretty much been phased out by the time I was growing up, or at least in the area and setting that I was growing up in. Maybe they were still used in offices or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's an interesting bit of... That's an interesting assertion, but I need sources, darn it. Um, but I will take the feedback nevertheless. I will take the feedback as as it stands, and that is to say that the comparison may be maybe grossly inaccurate, because maybe the Dvorak keyboard was uh, developed in by hyping up the problems, or the quote-unquote problems, with the QWERTY keyboard, and, and maybe that's not exactly the best analogy to draw when comparing the, 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 the mental effort it takes to switch from one thing to another, because those things are not analogous. Uh, but the the analogy that I was making was wasn't really about the, the the products themselves. It was more about the mental shift that it takes to change from one thing that you know to another thing that you don't know. And and I guess in a way I was probably being presumptuous by by using myself as an example in the first place because really I mean there are lots of things that I could change probably in my life and don't change. So it's it's not like I was trying to assert that because I was the because I've changed from the QWERTY to the Dvorak keyboard, 
that I am in a more, a more advanced being than anyone else. I was simply trying to express that I, I do recognize that it is difficult to change, but sometimes it is nevertheless worth changing something. That was the intent. Don't know if it was 100% clear, so I'll take this feedback. Thank you, Paul. Uh, actually, I take all feedback, but uh, I mean, I'm taking this one as it is. Okay, so here's Dave Morris's feedback. This is Dave from Hacker Public Radio. If you don't listen to Hacker Public Radio, you should. It's a really good uh, series, and you'll know Dave's voice after you listen to a couple of community shows. You will totally hear this email in his voice if you listen to Hacker Public Radio community shows. And you will wonder why Ken Fallon is not responding to him right now. He says, Hi, Klaatu. I enjoyed this show a lot. That That's about um, episode 22, the previous one. I was fascinated by your discussion of call, particularly the reverse line feed stuff. In my first IT job, where I worked between 1977 and 1981 at the University of Lancaster, I wrote a word processor. I was teaching... That's really cool that he wrote a word processor. I was teaching Pascal evening classes at the local adult education place, and I wanted to give my students some handouts. I wrote a fairly simple program in Pascal, of course, intending, intending to be able to print mixed case, bold, and underlined text, and to do line justification. Trouble was, the university's main computer was a mainframe, which had line printers for output. By default, they printed uppercase only, but we had a fancy new printer with with mixed case. I worked out how to access the lower case, but since the printing was done one line at a time, there was nothing fancy like bold or underlining. I found that it was possible to make the printer go backwards, the reverse line feed, and thereby overprinted words to get bold text and overprinted text with underscores to get underlining. I suspect that the file the, the file you were examining, which had a um, caret h sequence, was doing something similar, using backspaces to overprint stuff and get bold text. No idea why that feature still exists these days, but that's what it seems like to me. And he's not the only one that said that, actually. I got feedback from IceCream95, who you'll you'll kind of know by handle by now. He's been giving me lots of really, really interesting feedback lately. He says, the reason why Groff, and then he even references where you can find the Groff man page. So thank you for that, Ice Cream 95. I would not have, wouldn't have known how to look up the Groff man page. Uh, he outputs the caret H sequence in titles is to make the characters bold. With paper terminals, it would print the characters twice, and so with twice the ink. Less also a man one, by the way, detects this and automatically uses the terminal control character for bold, or for colors if you have that configured. Graph also uses uh, underscore caret hx to underline text. So that's really, really interesting that, that Ice Cream 95 and Dave Morris both knew that bit of trivia. I have no idea how these people remember these things, really. It seems like such a minor detail, a minor historical detail, and it's really quite interesting to hear about how people have had experience with that or, or just have come across it in history. Ephraim emailed me and said, the only invisible characters I normally use are RLO Unicode symbol U202E and LRO Unicode symbol uh, 202 Delta. 
They come in handy when switching between English and right-to-left languages like Hebrew. I don't believe there is an ASCII equivalent to those two. So that's that's really interesting. Um, it's one of those things. The invisible characters they they always they always get on my nerves because they're well they're invisible, right? You can't see them. Um, and I'm going to tell you about a cool little thing in Emacs, and there's probably equivalents all over the place, but since I use Emacs on a daily basis, it's funny, saying the word daily, or the, the phrase daily basis almost seems like an understatement. I feel like there should be a different, uh, different phrase if, you're, if you use something all day at work and then you go home and, you, and continue to use the same thing, that, that there should be something for that. Anyway, Emacs has a lot of great text processing tools that I might as well mention because we're on the subject still of, of invisible characters. So for instance, if I open up Emacs and type in Control Q, Control H, I get the invisible control, the, the carrot H backspace character that, that we've been talking about. Now, in, in real life, so Emacs doesn't typically hide that character. It, it, so I see it on my screen. One wouldn't see it, for instance, if, if I, if I save this file as, um, call it backspace.txt. There, that's what it's called. Now if I go into my terminal and I do a, I need to be in my home directory, I do a cat of backspace.txt, I see nothing. Well, I see the, the scratch buffer text that I saved out of Emacs, but, but for all intents and purposes, I don't see anything. I, I see no caret h. And even if I, yeah, if I select the text to make sure that it's not just invisible against the black background of my terminal or something weird like that. No, it's just not there as far as I can tell. So I'll open backspace.txt back up, and there's the caret h again, the backspace character. And it, it is color, it's it's a different color in Emacs to, to indicate that it's, I guess, sort of a meta character. And one of the things that you can do is you can do um, meta x, which is the usually the alt key on your keyboard, meta x, and then describe dash car. So describe dash char return while your cursor is on the caret or the h, either one of those two. And it, it opens up this sort of this buffer at the bottom of the of your screen telling you that the position of this character is 149 of 150 in columns. Your, your cursor is currently in column zero. The character is c dash h displayed as c dash h code point eight number 010 number x8 preferred car set ascii code point in car set 0x08 script is latin syntax is dot which means punctuation and it also tells you how to actually input it now i just happened to know that if i hit control q control h that it would input it but if i didn't if i hadn't known that it tells me how to how to input it in the future so control for instance it says to input type Control X eight return eight. Now, why is it eight? Well, Control X eight has a, a meaning within Emacs, but then the return well, and the return terminates that incantation. The final eight there is referring to that code point, which it says character ch displayed as ch code point eight. So, for instance, if I do Control X eight return, that's the sequence to get into this insert character mode. I can tell it either the code point number which is eight and i get it in my ter in my um, emacs window or i can do control x eight return and it tells me that i can also enter the unicode name so if i happen to know the unicode code name of this which i do which it's it's back space then once again it's inserted into the into the emacs window 
So there are a couple of different ways to to enter characters that don't actually appear on your keyboard. So if if you're ever using Emacs and you're not sure what a character is or how you got that character in the first place or or why a color why why a character is colored differently than all of your other text on your screen, then then possibly just kind of hover over that with your cursor, do it Alt X describe dash C H A R and Emacs will tell you all about that character. It's, it's quite useful, really. I, I use it more often than you would think. The other thing I guess to know is that there is a white space mode, which again, if you do the uh, Alt X and then just type white space uh, white space dash mode, then you can go into white space mode where you see all kinds of hidden characters, like spaces, tabs. Uh, what it carriage returns all all manner of of extra stuff will appear on your screen almost i would argue probably possibly too much but it it's pretty useful in some cases especially if you're banging your head against python because it's there there are levels of indentation that you can no longer sort of keep track of with your eye go into white space mode you'll see everything quite well spelled out so there you go, that's that's my Emacs tip for invisible characters. I think it's time to talk about Cole RM. Cole RM is in the user bin directory of your computer. It comes with the util Linux package, and its man page is very, very short. It's pretty simple. If I look at it, Cole RM, it's, uh, it's not even a screenful for me. I mean, it's really, really a short little man page. And yes, I realize that the screenful in terms of man pages is a useless measure, but that's how I'm looking at it. In a windowed mode, the man page doesn't even take up all the whole window. So call rm remove, removes columns from a file, and the syntax is call rm first last. You think, oh, probably, and then the file name, right? No, it's it's actually it says it takes input from the standard in and provides output via standard out. There are no options for this. It is it is what it is. So, for instance, let's make a a file, a sample file. I'll call it um, let's call it test.file. And in this file, I'm going to make I think I'll make um, I'm going to do this for for fun. So I'm going to make four columns as we traditionally think of columns, and that's going to be distro. Uh, basis, arch, and years. So the first one will be Slackware. The basis is Slackware. Architectures available is x32 and x64, years 10. I've used Slackware for about 10 years now. Probably a lot longer, but I think I've had this discussion with myself on this show before, so I won't go into it. Next one, Fedora, Fedora, x64, and I think they do ARM these days. How many years? 8. We'll do RHEL. Basis for that is Fedora, X64 ARM for four years. I've used that one. I'd say off and on. Debian, Debian X32, X64. What don't they have? ARM, and I've used that again off and on for about three years. Let's let's call it three years. It's probably a little bit more. Uh, Mandriva basis is Mandriva, X64, and uh, we'll call that three years as well, off and on. Okay, that's an incomplete list, but it's good enough for right now. So basically what I have, if I do a cat test 
file, I've got a nice little text table here of, of four columns and one, two, three, four, five, six lines. Now if I do a cat of test.file and then pipe it through colrm, c-o-l-r-m, and then do, for instance, one space 16. Not 0 to 16, but 1 to 16. Now I see on my screen a nice little text table of three columns that starts with basis, goes to arch, goes to years. So in other words, I've removed the first table column by removing the first 16 character columns from my file. So in other words, if I do that again, and I do cat test.file pipe col rm1 to 2, now I've got my, my, four, my four columns, but it just says um, stro, aquare, dora, l, bian, and ndriva. So in other words, I've, I've removed just the first two characters. So the thing I'm trying to demonstrate here is that columns in this lingo and this jargon does not refer to tabular columns as we think of them when we when we think of columns of text it's talking about columns like the width of your terminal columns that kind of column basically one slot for a monospaced character that's a column in 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 the lingo uh, or the vernacular of this of this column removal tool that's pretty much all you can do with call rm it does seem to require, even though the man page, I thought it suggested to me that the last column was optional. For instance, I guess technically it is. It doesn't error out if you don't give it the final column. But in reality, the last column does not seem to be all that optional. So if I do a cat test.file pipe col rm space 1, and I don't give it a an ending point, then it, uh, I get zero, zero content returned in standard out. There's nothing. I mean, there's lines. It shows me all the lines, but it shows me no columns, so no text at all. Now, if I do colrm1 space 1, then I have what I would have expected from colrm1, which is just the whole file except with the first character dropped. And, and for that reason, I can see that this could be very useful. I have myself very often had files that that had some kind of weird native indent for no good reason and i always kind of used sed or yeah i think sed mostly to remove those empty um, character columns i feel like call rm could could do in a pinch and it would have to be a very specific use case because a lot of times it is it's not that standard right there's an indent for most of the 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 file but there are, there are always those couple of lines that for some reason mi missed the, the memo about being indented, and they get outdented or dedented, and, and so call RM wouldn't really work that well. Call RM is very absolute. If you tell it to remove the first three columns, then it removes the first three columns. With said, at least you can say, well, remove the white space if, if the white space appears at the very beginning of the line, but not anywhere else. So it would be limited in use, but... I can see it being useful. All right, so the next one is Column, and Column, C-O-L-U-M-N, is a tool to help you columnate lists. And probably the best, the best way to, to sample the the real 
power of column is I'm going to open my test.file again, and I'm going to destroy my text table, reducing each quote-unquote column that I created for myself with just a, a one, one white space. So I've got distro space, basis space. Actually, I'll leave an arbitrary tab in there just for fun, just to mix things up. And then arch space, years, and then the next line, slackware space, slackware space. So I'm, I'm just, I'm destroying it such that at the end of this process, I have a jumble of text. And only I know that it's meant to be a table. I've delimited everything with a space or a tab. And otherwise, it's a word cloud. So now I'm going to pipe it through column with a dash dash table and then dash dash. Here it is, fill rows, dash dash fill rows, all one string, just fill rows, and then space test dot file. And as expected, it puts it, it outputs a nicely formatted uniform table of four columns in this or, or col tabular columns, not character columns. And, and it looks good. It looks quite nice. Let's try this on Etsy FS tab. That's a good one. So if we do column uh, dash dash table slash Etsy slash FS tab, as expected, provides a one, two, three, four, five, six, six column output, uniform columns output of Etsy FS tab. And you know if you've ever looked at Etsy FS tab that a lot of times the options, the file system options, most of them will just say default, default, defaults, defaults, defaults. And then there's like one or two that has something really wacky, like no auto, owner, RO, comments, you know, and all this other stuff. And it throws everything off. So all those little file system check numbers at the end are are all over the place. Well, if you want to see it as a table, use column dash dash table. Now, there are other other ways to view things. I mean, for instance, if I go back into my test file... And instead of these white spaces, maybe I could put like a, uh, well, I could put anything really, but I guess it would probably be pretty common to have pipe characters. I feel like a lot of ASCII tables use pipes because that's kind of what we're used to seeing in a spreadsheet. So if I, if I put pipes in between each column, each, you know, stand-in spreadsheet column, then I am able to tell the column command to use the pipe character. I'm shortening my file so I don't have to do all that. Uh, I'm going to tell column that my separator, that's dash dash separator, and then I'll put, I think quote pipe quote, we'll find out if I'm correct or not, and then I'll put uh, table, I guess, and test.file. And yes, that's correct. So it has swapped out all the pipe characters in my in my file with with whatever amount of white space is necessary to make it a nice, uniform-looking table. Let's see what else we can do here. I think that's really about it for column, to be honest. There are there are other other options which I've not necessarily had any luck with. So, for instance, if I just type if I if I put in just column space test dot file, I get the original file with all those pipe characters in it now in two columns. So it took the first two lines of the file and then and, and g gave those to me line after line. And then it took the two last lines and made it a second column of this output. So I've basically got a table of a two line table 
of a bunch of text separated by pipes. But it's it's a it's a pretty uniform looking table because it doesn't know that the it doesn't know what my separator is, which obviously we know how to solve now. We can just say separator quote pipe quote test dot file. Oh, that didn't solve it. Dash dash table there. Now it's turned it into a table. So that that works as expected. But for instance, if I say separator uh, quote pipe quote and then do for instance columns. And supposedly, I'm supposed to be able to give a width. Output is formatted to a width specified as number of characters. All right, so let's uh, let's put 40 in there. Test.file, and all I get is the same. I get an unaffected output. And I can try that with a couple of different combinations. I've done column dash dash columns, for instance, 80 dash dash fill rows. Test file, and it 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 changes the output, but not in the way that you would expect. And then dash dash separator pipe again doesn't even change the output um, from 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 fill rows and then you I've also tried dash dash output dash separator that doesn't seem to swap out the separator character so there's there are some subtleties here that I'm, I'm just not getting and I'm not going to spend the time to try to figure it out because frankly and I know we're all thinking this anyway awk is the way that you would really do this in real life that said, for quick and easy, already almost a table output column might be a, a, a fix for you. It might it might just pad a couple of characters where necessary, making it look uniform and tabular for you. That's something that that column does appear to do pretty well. Now I think what's interesting, possibly, I think it's vaguely interesting, is the the man page for column if i go to man column again it's a pretty good man page i mean it gives gives examples which uh are somewhat useful i guess that they don't they don't actually give the the examples for the things that don't make sense to me for instance the dash dash call well the dash dash columns technically make sense but the fact that output separator doesn't appear to actually work or or the fact that fill rows doesn't actually seem to do anything useful. I mean, I'm sure there's a use case for it. I'll bet you anything. I just haven't generated the correct input for it to make a difference. But that is just, it's just interesting that they don't give examples for those. It gives an example for dash, for dash dash table and dash dash table and dash dash separator put together. And that's it. Anyway, I digress. Point being, bottom of the page says, the column command is part of the util Linux package and is available. That wasn't it. Uh, it says history. The column command appeared in 4.3 BSD-Reno, R-E-N-O, which in America means a city very near Las Vegas in Nevada. But in New Zealand, at least, and probably Australia and possibly uh, England, I don't know. But Reno, R-E-N-O, is short, it's sort of a slang word or whatever, for renovations. And it used to confuse me thoroughly when I first moved to New Zealand. I would see Reno all across, like, adverts for hardware stores. And I was going to hardware stores a lot initially because, you know, how it is. You get a new place and you have to, you have to get hammers and things like that. So I would always see this these references to Reno, and I could never figure it out until I finally realized that it wasn't Reno, it was Reno, as in renovation. Anyway, the interesting thing was that BSD 4.3 BSD-Reno, I'd never heard of that before. Looked it up, and um, it's it, I don't know why they call it dash Reno. I don't know the 
I don't know the the reason. I don't know if that was just the 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 sort of the code name for that release, or if it was unique because it somehow came by way of Reno. I'm I'm just not sure, and I can't I cannot actually determine that from what I'm reading. But I, I did come across its release announcement as archived on the on the internet. And it's kind of it's, an, it's sort of an interesting read. It's from 1990, so this this is before I think Linux even exists, right? I mean, 1990 is pretty early, and so this is kind of a um, this is you know historically I, I think I would consider it pretty early. I mean, for me, pre-Linux is is early Unix to me. So it was a release for Vax, and apparently. Tahoe, which I don't know what that is. I mean, I'm sure I could find out, but that's it's beside the point. So it's kind of interesting because it it reads, uh, it it announces the the release of of this this 4.3 BSD Reno thing, which they say is an intermediate step towards their their goal of 4.4 BSD, which that's that's common. It says, unlike past test releases. 4.3 uh, BSD Reno is being made generally available to 4.3 BSD licensees, and 4.3 BSD Reno may be redistributed and used in released products within the usual licensing constraints. However, you will have to upgrade any code that you use from 4.3 to 4.4 code within one year of the release. And it's just kind of interesting because it's it's just funny and strange to hear licensing with regards to BSD, because obviously today BSD is famously the, the license isn't even a question. I mean, it's the, that's the license that you go to when you don't even want to talk about licensing. It's just it's a BSD license. You can do whatever you want to with it, aside from removing all signs of the original author. It says the license to 4.3 BSD Reno is simply an addendum to the 4.3 BSD license. Sites without a 4.3 license may obtain both 4.3 BSD and 4.3 BSD Reno simultaneously, but must sign a 4.3 BSD license as well as the addendum. Contact the distribution office for 4.3 BSD licensing information. 4.3 BSD is available only to sites with Unix slash 32V System 3 or System 5, or you know System V, whatever, source licenses. With AT&T, we are actively working to decrease the amount of AT&T code in the system. We expect that we will provide a subset of 4.4 BSD without the AT&T code to sites without requiring the AT&T license. However, we are not prepared to make that determination for this release, so we are providing only tapes with the complete system at this time. So they were they were still carving out those that 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 bit of AT&T code that still required licensing. Fascinating and just a sort of a bone-chilling glance at the old way of of Unix. Um, there are many times that I I kick myself for not getting into Unix sooner, and then sometimes I read things like this and I think, you know what? If I even if I'd been mentally prepared for Unix way back then i don't know that that would it, it wouldn't have it, i wouldn't have been that interested in it i don't think not at least until linux because uh the licensing stuff just i mean it was still it was 1990 and the licensing stuff hadn't been ironed out yet i'm not blaming bsd obviously for that they're working on it 
at this point. They it's pretty clear from their from their release that they're they're moving towards that as fast as they can. But it's it's a tough sell to 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 be really to to go head over heels for something that that just requires a bunch more licensing concerns. I mean, in other words, I, I guess I can see why someone would have opted for Solaris or Next instead of BSD at, at this time, because really there 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 were there were proprietary issues on 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 all fronts, and it kind of once again kind of reinforces what a big deal Linux was at the time. It must have been absolutely mind blowing for a geek wanting to get into Unix or or a Unix geek, a pre-existing Unix a pre a geek with a pre-existing Unix condition. I can I can imagine them getting really excited about Linux. And as I think I've said before, I, I remember people being excited about Linux and me not understanding it at all. I just thought it was something that you ran on a Windows machine and so I didn't I had no interest in it. I don't know why I thought that. Someone someone didn't explain this properly to me and I had people yell at me about how Linux was a big deal and and I should know about it because I was into computers, which I wasn't at the time. I, I, I was still telling myself I didn't care about computers at that time. Everyone else knew, but I didn't. Um, and I just never really understood what was going on with it. But I could I could see, if you were using Unix at that time, I can see why Linux would have been a huge deal. I mean, and, and you know, it's funny because I, I say it as if though it's a huge deal, I mean, it still is a huge deal, right? For people who really care about what they're running, that open license is a huge deal. It's 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 um, it's profound. I mean, the the amount of licensing stuff that I don't have to care about on a day-to-day basis is is enormous now, and that's because of Linux. But it is it is interesting because me and Deep Geek were actually just talking about this the other day via email, and that is that that there's the there's this weird you know open source is kind of for all intents and purposes it's kind of dead now in a weird way and i say it's dead in the sense as as deep geek says in the in the sense that frederick nishi said god was dead it's it's dead because it's kind of things have have moved on from being centered around this one concept so deep geek in an email says i'm uh, he's talking about something else, actually, but he says, I meant it in the same way that the philosopher Fred Nishi, he's, he's on uh, casual terms with, with Frederick Nishi, meant God is dead. Not that I think a human-like father figure in the sky keeled over, but rather as that it is um, that it is not the most important thing anymore, that the age of faith is over, and people who act pious are really hypocrites because that is not the way that our current culture works. More specifically, money is the new god. Offer the pious person a job as a corporate spo- spokesperson and see what comes out of his mouth. So that was just, this is kind of a little bit out of context, but the the idea is that there was this thing that was super sort of in the limelight, right? It was, it was the, it was the central concern of, of society. And then somehow everyone, it just kind of, it, people kind of move on. Not necessarily away, but they move on, and in in a sense, open source is like that. It has moved. We have all moved on from open source, and you can take that as a negative or a positive thing. By which I mean, you could look at it and say, "Oh my gosh, we don't care about open source anymore," and that is a concern. We should all care about open source. We shouldn't say, "Okay, we we won, we're we're done." But at the same time, we kind of have won. 
I mean, the world now doesn't really question the idea of open source. There may be a, a significant portion of the world that questions whether their own stuff should be open source, but they certainly don't question the concept of open source anymore. It is no longer, as everyone is saying, it's no longer the underdog. It is no longer the exception to the rule. It is the rule now. People, people assume that open source exists. Now, again, that doesn't mean everyone's just releasing stuff as open source and therein lies the danger, but it is an assumption and a reliance that that open source exists. This stuff has to exist. The internet runs on open source, and a lot of things run on the internet. It had better exist, and that's just how it is. And so in a, in a way, it's it's taken for granted, is what I'm trying to say. And so it's interesting to read old releases like this where licensing was still a concern, even for what is now a bastion of not having to worry about licensing. Anyway, that was BSD 4.3-Reno. Don't know why it existed, but it's there, and it provided us with the column command. That's it for this episode. I have to go. I have to run off to the South Island. So thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. <laughs>